Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor, and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now, here's your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 25 of Thrive Deeper. It is I, DJ Payne, and on this week's episode, Matt Jacoby and myself go through the rest of the book of Zechariah. Last week, we covered the first six or seven chapters, and this week, we are going through the rest. So be prepared, grab that Bible, and be ready to uh, read along with us as we go through some pretty deep passages in the prophetic word of Zechariah. Now, uh, we kick off this week's conversation. Matt and I were talking about his upcoming trip to Israel and what are the plans that he has around that. So listen in. I didn't do a lot of those medieval traditional places because like some random place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I went mainly for the uh, authentic um, spots. Yeah. Mm. So how goes the um, how goes the planning for the Israel trip? Oh, it's great. I'm, I've been doing so much research. I'm like a pig in mud. I tell you, I'm, when, I mean, like months worth. Like, uh, when do you have and, time to do extra oh, just, research? It's like instead of watching television, I'll just research all the archaeological sites and. Okay, so you oh, got you, so much out. You're of going that. over there January, February. Yeah, and then probably the following year, and maybe even the following year after that as well, because I got so many people keen to go. Um, to go with me uh, in 2020. Uh, yeah. Too many, in fact, and so I'll probably do another trip in 2021. What, well, uh, I don't see this ever slowing down. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be more people wanting to go. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guarantee when you have, you know, you do the one in 2019, you do the one next year, Yeah. you're going to come back and there's going to be, you know, yeah. how many people are going with you? Uh, well, uh, with this time, this is just a pilot group, I'm calling it, which is 20... Uh, You're going to have 20 evangelists going out there when they yeah, come back yeah. here and saying everybody yeah. has to go. Yeah. And and look, I mean, it was interesting. Like I – when I went at the beginning of this year, I mean, I observed a lot of tours and I and I didn't really like the way that tours were being – I felt like people were being a bit too smothered, you know. Yep. So so I've, I've created a tour that gives sort of a lot of independence. So we do a lot of – I provide a lot of stuff up front yeah. so that when people get there, they're already across it and, and you can just – be there and absorb it, not just following the leader around. Yes, you know, which just it just doesn't allow you to be in the moment. So what, so what you're telling me is you're not going to be wearing a yellow hazmat suit and carrying and a, a flag and carrying a flag and no. saying this way, everybody. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly not. And stopping and pulling out the yeah. guitar and playing a Sons of yeah. Chorus song. It's like go absorb and <laughs> and you know and, and and I'll be here and you know but it, yeah. So so I think um, and and you know there's a lot of sites that I just think aren't worth necessarily visiting. I mean, they're, they're, they're um, destinations for official pilgrimage generally by Catholic and Orthodox churches Yes, that really have no archaeological authenticity. Yeah. You know, well, it's funny uh, just just looking up in Zach, you look researching Zechariah, the the book yeah. that we're going through. I saw one of the one of the points that I looked at was the burial site for Zechariah, yeah. which is a medieval burial site yeah. in in the mount on the yeah. Mount of Olives for the prophets, blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, he probably wasn't buried there, but this is where they no, just no, that's said. right. No, it's a, yeah, that's what they've just said. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. there, and and then it, it gets sort of canonized. Yeah, that? and, and archaeologists saying, well, we don't know where these people were, <laughs> uh, were buried. So a lot a, a lot a lot of time gets wasted on that sort of thing, I yeah. think. And um, 
you know, it was interesting when I was there that the guide, because it was just for a few pastors, you know, and mm. the guide was explaining how they normally do things, right? And, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, oh, I'm going to change this. <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, she said, the thing with Australians is they always want to wander off, you know, and they want to wander off and do things on their own. And, and I thought, yeah, yeah. So why, you know, if they're paying six or 7000 to yes. to do that, yeah. let them do yeah. that. Like Wander off. Yeah. And so let's create a tour that incorporates so, a lot of wandering off. So it's the Matthew Jacoby, let's wander off tour. Wander off tour. Yeah. <laughs> I love it because it, knowing you, knowing you, how well I know you, I... I I, the antithesis of yourself would be on one of those Israeli tours where there's a there's a the, I couldn't imagine you on any anything like that. But but I mean the the the, the group that I'm taking now. I mean I, like I, I've progressively fed information in the in the, like over the last year. Oh wow! That's so right. people so, are get, so people who are going over. So with it's like you a one year Bible course. That is that is a great and, way and to it, do and it. And it culminates in uh, in. Um, now I'm, I'm I'm refining that as I go now, as I yes. said, and and it'll, and for next year it'll be more refined, uh, because I've produced a whole lot of material that that I'll drip feed more the next time. So okay. by the time people get there, it's like the it's the um, you know it's it's the, the climax, icing, the icing on yeah. the cake of everything that being there. Yeah, that is great. You know, so the idea is is that like that they that when they get there and hop out at these points, they'll know just about as much as the guide. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. That's great. Okay, now I know people are going to be listening who have they've never heard about this before because this has been very limited to our to our church. home church. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is it ever going to be open to anybody else who might be listening to the podcast, or if anybody was interested and was and wanted to put their name down, do, is it even worth saying get in touch with us, or is it more worth saying keep an eye on the Thrive Today website yeah, and keep an they, eye on it? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a possibility. Okay, I mean I I, I love it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to do this uh, for my church first, but let's let's see where it all goes. Okay, okay. Well, there mm. we go. Keep an eye on the thrivetoday.net.au website, and if this uh, if this ever expands greater than our our church family, which is the One Hope Baptist Churches in Geelong, uh, then you know you'll be the first to find out about it. All right, <laughs> all right. Let's change gears and jump straight into uh, uh, Zechariah. We we looked last week at the opening of the book of Zechariah. In fact, we got uh, through pretty much the first six chapters. Yeah, that that pretty much leaves another six chapters to go to the end of end of uh, end of Zechariah. Well, a bit more because you need to do your maths there. Okay, so it goes have, to fourteen. It goes to fourteen. <laughs> I'm thinking it goes to like so pretty much half. Like we covered yeah. half the book of uh, Zechariah. Yeah, and we we you know we've got the, we've got the next part of the book of Zechariah to go in our reading in our reading that we're doing uh, at the moment our current reading through Thrive that takes us into next week as well but in looking at what we're going to do I, I, you know I think over this episode I think we just cover off the the rest of Zechariah the book yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. okay it's it's interesting how I mean I, I have I've um, had to renew I mean I've done research on this book before and I've had to renew it because yeah. it's a very complicated book it, it, definitely even in the structure of how it sort of the dreams, you know, there's an introduction. There's all these crazy dreams that sort or of loop, visions, visions yeah, and yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. dreams and visions that loop around and connect yeah, with one yeah. another, and they sort of yeah. tie in the yeah. earlier ones, tie into the later ones, and then there's this break, and then we have this completely different voice yeah. 
you know, where he gives his prophecies about the, yeah. about the, the, you know, the coming of of, of the Messiah, the end, you yeah. know, what's happening to Jerusalem at the end, which is compl- like, I'm like, how does that connect to these dreams and the visions? Well, well, it does. It does connect thematically because um, the, all of the visions are speaking to the people of Israel in the, the returned exiles, yes. who uh, and, and it's assuring them, even though you're this tiny group of people sandwiched in between all of the nations, um, yet don't be discouraged. God has a great purpose for you. Uh, you haven't been rejected. That's a big theme here. Yes. Uh, in a sense, what's happening in those first six chapters is that uh, God, through... Um, Zechariah is assuring his people that they are fully reinstated into their covenant status as a kingdom of priests. Well, let's let's do a bit of an overview. If you're just jumping in for the first time, recommend you go back and listen to the last couple of episodes at least. But uh, we've got the we've got the uh, exiled Jews coming back at around you know they're coming back at about five to 30, 537 okay. BC. Yeah, and then and then uh, you know fifteen to twenty years after that, after they've already started being there, that's when Zechariah's ministry starts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's. Um, they lay the foundation of the temple around 535, and there's about a 15-year break um, and because they stopped the temple building. This is the issue here. Yep. They've become discouraged. They've lost their sense of purpose. And uh, in answer to this, um, God sends um, Haggai and Zechariah. Yep. And Haggai's prophecy is pretty straightforward. Yep. Come on, cha- go up to the mountains, bring down timber, build my temple, get your priorities right. Yeah. Okay? And, we, and also in Haggai's book, we recorded that Zerubbabel and the team are like, okay. Yeah, that's right. And they respond. That's <laughs> yeah. that's great. And, and you know, Zechariah is, is so much more uh, complex. Um but it's still speaking to the same context, you know. There, mm. it's it's quite it's very positive. Yes, um, it's not positive about the history, the previous history, no. um, uh, because of course that's riddled with uh, rebellion and so forth. But very much positive about the present and the future, and it's designed to encourage them to keep building. Although there's there's not a lot about build the temple. Yes, there is a bit in here. Yeah, um, but it's it's meant to be. Um, big picture stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Zechariah is a contemporary of uh, of Ezra and Haggai, also of Malachi. Uh, hang on. Well, no. Yep. Uh, remember, Ezra only turns up later uh, on. Yeah, like fifty. You know, n- nearly sixty years, fifty-seven years, I think it is after the temple is completed. Oh, really? Yeah, he turns up way later. Okay, so so he he turns up actually in the time of Nehemiah. Okay, so 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 that's about four. Yeah, 40? but he's still. Uh, no. Oh no, you got me here. Sorry. Um, four fifty. Yeah, it's 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 around yeah it's around four uh, four fifty something. Okay, like okay. That. So so this is the ne- the previous generation. Then let's get that straight. The, the so th- as we're going through this, we've got the exiles coming back home, and with that first couple of waves, we have you know the story of uh, you know Zerubbabel and the yep. governors who were taking care of that, talking to them were Haggai, and then talking overlapping from. You know, yeah. to the end of that era is Zechariah here. Yeah. Okay, okay, because yeah, right. yeah. his ministry goes through to like about four seventy five BC or something like yeah. that. By the time he finishes writing all of his prophecies down, uh, yeah, um, I'm not sure uh, what what kind of time span uh, he covers uh, Zechariah, but he he's he, he is um, uh, he's there in the time of Zerubbabel and Joshua. Yes, he's contemporary with uh, Haggai. And uh, before 
um, before Ezra, Ezra gets there. Okay, before Ezra, before well and surely before Nehemiah, yeah, yeah. and before Malachi as yeah, well. That's okay, right. Okay, okay, great, 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 great. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so let's have a look at it. So we, the, the, you know he has a introduction that we covered off last week. We have a lot of his visions, um, yeah. you know, and his you know in the in the first nine chapters of the book. No, first, uh, well, it's. It changes this. changes tack at about chapter seven. Okay, uh, really, it goes one to six. One, this one to six sequence the, of visions. Okay, and then you've got a couple of middle chapters. Uh, you know what, seven, yeah, eight. That's right. So it, it addresses the situation. You know they've they've um, you know they've come back from exile. Uh, uh, Zechariah puts a lot of emphasis on justice and mercy. Let's get this right. Yes. Don't fall just into empty um, uh, empty ceremony. Um, uh, big, you know, it says the word in um, seven, verse eight, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, "Thus says the Lord of hosts: Render true judgments, show kindness, mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart." So let's get this is true worship, yeah. uh, because remember, this is about the the they're, they're building the temple, but don't think that. Just following all the rules and ticking the religious boxes is what this is all about. The yeah. reminder is to um, uh, that that true worship is doing the will of God yeah. and loving uh, our, our fellow man. Uh, you know, verse eight um, is is an assurance. Uh, sorry, chapter eight is an assurance um, of God's favor towards His people uh, and Jerusalem. Uh, you know, He says in verse three, "I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem." And down uh, in verse eight, uh, you have this this um, often repeated uh, statement, uh, "And they shall be my people, and I will be their God yep. in faithfulness and in righteousness." Um, now, there's a bit of a there's a bit mm. of a what what Zechariah is saying there is because I, I remember in the, in that in those two chapters there seven and eight, part of that narrative is the people the remnant who remembered, or you know, were talking they took yep. they mentioned the old. Temple, yeah, and and they were sort of you know asking about mourning about the old temple, and then there's point of the point of what I th- this is what I took away from it. Yeah. Part part of what Zechariah was sort of implying or saying, you know, in those passages mm. you just quoted, were, were the fact that don't be like the previous generation that had the better temple. Yeah. Now it's God wanting to have. Yeah. The real relationship with yeah. you. Yeah. This is not about you wondering about the past. It's you actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, being yeah, in yeah. covenant with God right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so, it a lot of this is vision casting. We've talked about visions, um, like literal visions in the first part of the book. But uh, this is about vision casting, getting people to think big uh, and. And recognise that they're actually the, that what they're doing is very small steps towards a very big, a um, universal purpose. Mm. Uh, you know, eight twenty one says the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, "Let us go at once to entreat the favour of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts." I myself have gone. Many people and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favour of the Lord. Um, so there's this uh, that. It's an echo of the vision of Isaiah that nations will come to your light. Yeah, um, and and it talks about Jerusalem here, but but I think it becomes evident that this is a case of um, uh, sort of multiple fulfillments because it actually isn't just about Jerusalem. It, when, uh, you will see in, as we go through this that Jerusalem actually 
um, becomes the eschatological Jerusalem, like the Jerusalem that the new Jerusalem that we read about in, yeah. in Revelation twenty one and twenty two. Definitely. The, the, w- w- later on in Zechariah, when he speaks about Jerusalem, he's referring to that Jerusalem. Yes. It seems. Yes. So, um, so th- there's sort of multiple, um, you know, there's sort of multiple fulfillments of that. You know, it's Jerusalem is a symbol of 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 God's dwelling place of God's people. You know, so this could be a picture of the church. Um, uh, so, you know, verse 23 here in chapter 8, thus the, says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations will, uh, t- uh, sorry, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, because the this is the, you know, I think this is the, the, the um, you know, the time of the, the going out of the gospel, yes. you know, uh, Ultimately, this is, you know, of course, the first uh, apostles were, were, were Jewish, and, yeah. and um, this is the time of the ingathering. You know, nations will come to your light, the bringing in of the nations uh, in, in the church period. So I think, uh, so, so I think this did happen actually in history, you know, uh, as the Jews got established, that they attracted actually the, the, the elegant monotheism. Uh, uh, attracted actually a lot of people from the Greek and then Roman world, um, but they could never really become full members. It wasn't until uh, the message of Christ opened up the covenant community to everyone yes. that this really begins to be uh, fulfilled. And then, of course, you've got the ultimate fulfillment yeah. in the new Jerusalem of Revelation so 21 the, and 22. So there's, again, once we see this over and over again, this is a pattern that we see in prophecy, especially uh, you know in the Old Testament prophecy when it comes to do with Christ the Messiah and Jerusalem, there's varial, varying levels and multiple layers of fulfillment. Yeah, that's right. I, so, so the you know, I'm going to put it on you here, Matt. Like some people reading on it, reading through it, and going, okay, I think this is speaking pretty, pretty specific to the Jewish people. Yeah. Whether it is you know the 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 new the temple being built or something for the future, yeah. like it really is only revelation. Where do you where do you find the the proof in the text that it's talking about the church or okay yeah, you know good, yeah. or, or you know or, or this is about Christ and the and the new sure. you know the new relationship. Well, well, this this comes as you go on. Yes. And and I think as we go on, you'll see it's very evident. And 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 the biggest um, indication is because there are these passages are actually quoted from in the New Testament, referring to just that. You know what I mean? So That's exactly, referring to Christ yeah. and His Church, and and uh, and even actually the uh, the New Jerusalem of Revelation twenty one is actually a symbol of the people of God. Yes, uh, as well. So that is the New Jerusalem. Is, yeah. is uh, not just so much a city, but actually the it's the bride yeah. of Christ. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love as, as I was reading through Zechariah again for for this study, I, I kept on a couple of times. I thought, you know what, you know that you know the story that we read uh, when Christ, the risen Christ, walks yeah. back with two disciples back, yeah, yeah. To, you know, back to yeah. their home, you yeah. know, and they don't yeah. recognize yeah. who he is on the road to Emmaus. Yeah, yeah, on the road to Emmaus, and he just spends time opening up, you know, quoting the Old Testament, yeah. talking about. These are all pointing to this guy, yeah. Christ. Yeah. I, I was reading through Zechariah going, I reckon Jesus on that road was quoting some of Zechariah. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, when I when I read through through the second part of Ze- De- Zechariah again, yeah. there were times when I was like, I was getting goosebumps. I mean, it was just, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, like really, yeah. like really amazing prophecies, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and the first... Uh, of course, is is the famous one in uh, in chapter nine, yeah. because 
the big uh, the big issue for the post-exilic community, um, particularly after the death of Zerubbabel, and this may bridge beyond. Zer- I, I think probably Zechariah goes beyond Zerubbabel. Yes, uh, and and the I high think, priest Joshua. Yeah, I think yeah. it looks like Zechariah's more of a splash in the pan. Sorry, um, Haggai's more of a splash in the pan. You know, short prophecy. I think I think Zechariah extends um, uh, further. But in any case, the, the big issue is about the reinstatement of the Davidic monarchy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, the second uh, Samuel chapter 7, uh, the everlasting dynasty of David. I mean, where is this everlasting dynasty? I, yeah. I mean, Zerubbabel comes and goes, yeah. and this becomes an issue for the post-exilic community. And full restoration looks like the coming of the anointed one, or Mashiach, or Messiah, or the mm. Christ in mm. Greek. Mm. Mm. Um, uh and so you get these, uh, you, you get prophecies about this. And of course, the famous one is here in um, Zechariah 9, uh, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and, uh, and having salvation, uh, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, As for you also, uh, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Mm. I mean, this is, this is the coming of the kingdom of God. This is the universal rule of God's Messiah. Um, And, and it's going to be a rule of peace. He actually, uh, he comes to do this not on a war horse. You notice it says here, uh, it's not coming on a war horse, but he's going to come riding on a donkey. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be a different kind of kingdom. Yes. Uh, and, and this is the big issue, of course, in the New Testament with the Jews' ability to recognize Jesus as their Messiah, because they are expecting a military figure. Uh, whereas very clear reading of Zechariah 9 uh, says no, he's not coming on a war horse like yeah. Alexander the Great. Yeah. And remember, actually, just before this is a, if I'm correct here, is a prophecy against Tyre um, included here in Israel's uh, enemies. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. and Versus two to uh, four. That's right. And it was actually Alexander the Great that finally defeated Tyre. Yeah. So, um, so. You know, Alexander the Great is like the archetypal uh, horse-mounted ruler that goes and 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 um, prophesied, of course, in the Book of Daniel. Yeah. Uh, the archetypal warrior, and uh, but the Messiah is going to be different to that. There's yes. a contrast being created here, uh, as it says here. Um, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. That's not going to be the way that we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, he's going to come riding on a donkey. So I I, I think that is just. Uh, remarkable, and of course, uh, that evokes the triumphal entry of Jesus as Definitely. he rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey to fulfil yeah. this uh, scripture. It's amazing over the over these, and it's almost like um, I, I remember. We're not going to get into. I, I had I had someone uh, write to us uh, in the last couple of weeks and ask us mm. uh, about. You know, from listening to our podcast, they've gone and mm. done their own research, and they came to him. They said, "I've got a very important word I want you guys to define." And that's dispensationalism. And I said, no, no, we're not going to go down that road again. That's its whole own podcast there. And But I remember growing up in, in a church that was very dispensationalist. And, yeah. and, and basically, to cut a very long story short, it's that desire that I believe a very God-given desire 
to, to for men to be you know for men and women to be able to rightly divide the word of God you mm-hmm. know to be able to put things in its place mm. and to work out how God is dealing with dealing with mankind at a certain mm. time um, you know I don't I don't believe it's as cut as dry as some of the charts on yeah. the wall mm. would like to make it bad out but I remember in Zechariah the last parts of Zechariah yeah. I remember being taught very early on that these this last half of Zechariah nine to fourteen is split in two halves you know it's it's this half deals with Christ on his first coming yeah. and the second yeah. Couple of cha- the last couple of chapters is Christ coming, you know, the final time, yeah. you know, type of thing. And reading through it again, I was like, "Oh boy, no, no, I can't, I can't it's, cut it." It's so progressive and bleeds into each other. Yeah, it does. And the ultimate fulfillments of some of these things, even riding on the horse, it's like you know, the, some of the prophecy, even the things that were quoted yeah. in the New Testament. The New Testament writers are like, oh, no, no, we leave out that line because that's not fulfilled just yet. That's happening at another yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. and I'm like, it's not that's as cut right. and dry. There's a there's a concertina effect that, that happens uh, yes, with, with prophecy. Great... I think this is a good way good way to put it. And if you imagine, you know, a concertina um, where when it's retracted. Or an know, accordion. Together, or an accordion. Yeah, an accordion, yeah, yeah. right? You can pull it out, right? And that's, yes. that's history as it is, right? Yes. But in prophecy, it collapses, right? It retracts yes. back into one flat. Yeah. Uh, thing and it's described as though it's all one thing, yeah. but in fact, as we step into history, the concertina gets pulled out, and you realise that things that in prophecy look like they belonged right together <laughs> yes. are actually now pulled apart and a as history goes. Apart, yeah. yeah. So from the view of the prophet, yeah. it's a collapsed concertina; it's a retracted That's a great concert- way to concertina. Um, but it, from the point of view of being in history, yeah. it's a um, uh, it, it's it's an extended concertina. It's like it's like a, a flat version of events. Yeah. You know, from from one angle, you come up above it, and you see it's actually That's quite right. deep. Yeah. And it's a, there's a three D. Uh, you know. That's uh, right. Depth to it yeah. All. So so there are, there are these prophecies um, about the restoration, chapter ten, about the restoration of of Israel and Judah, and this is a big uh, this is a big uh, an important theme here. Uh, because um, God is promising that he will uphold them and give them strength as long as they keep doing his will. You just focus on doing what I want and I will restore you and give you strength because it all seems so impossible to this beleaguered, you know, tiny little group of people. It's like God wants to assure them, I'm going to raise you up. Just Mm. keep keep at it. You know, keep stepping in there. Complicated uh, chapter eleven, and um, I heard, uh, I read something, uh, a, a scholar who described this as the most complicated chapter in the Bible. That's a big call. I'll put it up there. I mean, <laughs> along with you know, there's parts of Daniel that are pretty yeah. complicated. Yeah, that's right. This one is not mathematically complicated. It's like the phraseology is so weird. Yeah, and the way that it almost changes mid-sentence into looking at a different angle is so bizarre. But yeah. once you break it all down, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so basically what happens in chapter 11 is that Zechariah is called to um, enact something. Now, now there's an there's a issue um, in this. There's actually, 
a few different interpretations of this. Some think uh, he's basically called to, to be a shepherd, to become the shepherd of the flock, um, and to um, uh, to get rid of you know three evil shepherds. And so, some people think that. This may perhaps literally happen. There's some who have said maybe Zechariah actually, after Zerubbabel became the leader of the post-exilic community, oh, wow. and had to depose others. You know that this is part of that. Now, I, that's not a particularly um, uh, prominent interpretation. I, I think that the the, the, uh, the most probable suggestion here is that is that in classic prophetic fashion, Zechariah is to become, take the place of God. You know, just like um, Hosea, yeah. you know, divorce, like takes on yes. an adulterous wife and he plays the part of God. Yeah. Essentially what's happening here is that um, God is saying to Zechariah, okay, Zechariah, I want you to play the part of me. Okay. So it says, thus said uh, the Lord, my God, become shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. Now doomed to slaughter, not in the future, but a sl- that have been continually given over to slaughter yes. in, in the past, right? Uh, those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say... So they've been cast around in the midst of the nations, Resold, right? resold, yeah. resold. E- even by their own shepherds who yes. have turned against them and yes. made deals with other nations. And, you know, it says, and their own shepherds who have no pity on them. So uh, so they, they've, just be, they've just been badly shepherded, right? Yeah. Uh, badly shepherded by foreign nations who have just plundered them, badly shepherded by their own shepherds. And um, and also, uh, but and so God and and this includes going right. This is a retelling of Israel's history. Yes. So you think of Egypt and under the shepherding of Egypt, how they yes. were plundered and yep. and uh, uh, and so God becomes their shepherd, but they reject their shepherd, and so God gives them over uh, to the nations. And so this is um, so, so uh, Zechariah is called to act this part of the shepherd, and. Uh, um, it, it possibly um, not literally because there are some things here that it, it, it's he couldn't have done yes. possibly um, in, in a literal sense. So in one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I so um, uh, so some of this perhaps may have sim- symbolically been enacted or something yeah. uh, like that. It's difficult to say how this was yeah. uh, enacted, but that's a prophetic kind of thing to do. Um, he says, so So in verse 7, I became shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by sheep traders, and I took two, two staffs, I named one favor, and the other n- named union. Um, and these two, two staffs are going to be broken, right? Because yeah. the, the union between the north and the south the tribes are broken. Uh, that's after the time of Solomon. And then and, and favor gets broken as well yeah. because uh, they had received so much favor from God but rejected it. And so the staff of favor gets and, broken. And it's that idea of, uh, let me just jump in and yeah. say early on, the idea that the sheep that, that, that Zechariah is called to care for is turning against him as he plays the Lord yeah. is an idea that sort of doesn't come clearly out at the beginning. And that's what that's what can stumble a lot of first-time readers because right at the beginning when, it, when he says, likewise, I will give these, you know, I'll give the sh- sheep over, you're like, hang yeah. on, I thought he's supposed to be protected. Like it's a bit yeah, confusing. Yeah. But the point of this, the bigger picture, you sort of got to zoom out and say the point of this is he is showing that the Messiah will be rejected by the sheep. 
Yeah, that's in the, right. In, yeah, in yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the shape of the Jews, the Jewish nation, nation, and they will reject their 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 ultimate salvation. Yeah, yeah that that's right. And and we're, we're coming to that. But yeah. the point here is that they really had already rejected their shepherd. Yeah. Um. And and so are rejected are are, are sent off yes. really by uh, their shepherd, who is God. And and yep. Zechariah is playing uh, the part of God here. So it says, um, uh, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. Um, you know, this, there, there were times in Israel's history where there was such a rapid succession of kings who just yes. killed each other. Yeah, you know, yeah. or, or, or one month could be a rel- just stand for a relatively short time yes, yes. and be talking about the last days of the um, the southern kingdom, the last yeah. days of Judah. Because actually, yeah. it was in a, within an eleven year period there were three kings that yes. came and went, yep. and that led to the end. And it could be actually talking about uh, that last, um, you know, the destruction of those shepherds. Yep. Um, and then um, it says here, um, uh, let me read down. Um, and then it says here in verse 12, and this is an interesting one. So yeah. I know it's been a little complicated, but if you're listening, keep listening. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it says verse 12, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, uh, but if not, keep them. So this is God speaking to his people. Yeah. And I know this is complicated, but uh, he's saying, I've shepherded you all of this time and I, like, I, I, I'm done, right? Yeah. So give me give me my wages. Yeah. Um, what I'm, whatever you think I'm worth. Whatever you think I'm worth, yeah. right? And this is going to be a you know what do you think I'm worth? Uh, because you've sort of given me up, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages thirty pieces of silver. Thirty pieces of silver. Where, now, have, we, where have you heard that before? <laughs> that's right. Well, Jesus was given up for thirty pieces of silver. Yeah. By Judas. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and again, by the religious <laughs> leaders of Jerusalem who rejected him yeah, that's as, right. as the shepherd. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that Exactly. So, um, and uh, now the, the importance of the 30 pieces of silver, this is actually how you um, uh, made up for a, like a sl- – this is the price of a, of a slave, you know, if a slave gets maimed or, or, or something yeah. uh, according to the Old Testament law. And it's not any reflection on the on the inherent value uh, of a slave, yep. but basically what this is saying is that you you have considered me uh, worth nothing more than than a slave, really. Yeah, uh, a than damaged, the price of a, a, a than the price slave. of a slave. Yeah. Uh, so so th- that I think is the key um, is the key thing here. And um, uh, he says, then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. Uh, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. That's su- sarcastic. The yeah. lordly price. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, th- throw it into so so that you know the potter's um, the potter's ha- the potter's section is is really um, you know th- this could be the treasury of the temple, um, which in the case of Judas it was he cast it back. Uh, in the end, he cast it back in, into the temple. Yeah. You know, um, uh, but you know the. Uh, this could be something like the scrapyard, or, or, or as well, uh, um, because uh, you know th- there were there were sections where potters would be in the temple because it required uh, the temple ceremonies repi- required these pots, you know. Yes. Um, and in fact, if you go to Shiloh, um, where the tabernacle originally was, uh, the, the the pottery of hundreds of years is still, still there. Shard, it's all over. It, yeah. I was walking over the top of it. Yeah. 
you know, all of this pottery. So it's like a, you know, the, the potter, it's imagine a scrapyard. It's like throw it onto the, onto the scrap heap, really, because yeah. it's worth nothing. Like this is what you, this is what you think I'm worth. Now, this is what you've given me up for. Yeah. Is it, now, isn't there any, is there any allusion to this? Because we know in the story of Judas in the 30, yeah. you know, the, the ultimate demise of Judas where, where he kills himself. Yeah. The place where he killed himself. Yeah was the potter's field. That's right. Is there an allusion to that or did it get uh, named for that no, because of this? Th- th- there is. Uh, I-, I think there is, a, there is a connection. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult connection um, uh, in that it's, it's, a little, it's a little bit oblique. But, uh, but I think and, – and also, remember, it's, it's, it so happened that they bought this field with, yeah. with the 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. This is moving forward. To the time of Christ, yes, Christ was betrayed by Judas for thirty pieces of silver. He threw it back into the temple. They purchased. I mean, in, in the original prophecy, it was thrown into the Potter's house, right, yeah. where the Potters were. Yeah. In um, in the New Testament, it's he's, it's he tosses it back at the and, at, and the and the religious religious leaders are like we don't yeah, want this blood money. Yeah, we don't want this blood money. Yeah. So they buy a field that happens. Yes. Not coincidentally, I would say, yeah. to belong to the potter. Yeah. The potter—it's the potter's field. Wow! Uh, and that wow. becomes a place for for burial for for Judas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these are the sorts of historical <laughs> coincidences that you just can't—you yeah. can't make happen, yeah. you know. And and the writer of the New Testament uh, notes that. So, uh, so the thirty pieces of silver thing is um, is quite an amazing connection. Mm. Um, so, and then. And then, I mean, it just gets so it just gets so much more interesting. I mean, it's 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 amazing this section because then it says in verse fifteen, then the Lord said to me, "Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal um, the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh uh, of the fat ones." So th- there's a um, uh, I'll, I'll read from one uh, commentary uh, which says, uh, Now there can be no doubt that the orientation is exclusively future in both historical and eschatological terms. So he's up to this point in the vision, he's, he's described the case, he's described things in the past, but yes. here he, he now is very much looking to the future. Uh, so he, he goes on to say, This means that some figure after Zechariah must be sought. Um, but he says that very search is encumbered with a host of problems. It is best perhaps to see in the shepherd the whole collective leadership of Israel from Zechariah's time forward, culminating at last in that very epitome of God- godless despotism, the individual identified in the New Testament as the Antichrist. Yeah. This is the uh, this is the sort of ultimate, you know, God says, okay, y- you want to go this way? Uh, then I, I'm going to give you leaders that reflect that, yep. and the Antichrist is the ultimate, um, uh, the ultimate getting what we deserve, uh, getting the leader that we deserve. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, and that, like you say, to bring it back to that Constantina or accordion or flattening of history when it comes to the future, you know, the type of thing. It's we go from literally. From one verse, Zechariah has been called by God to play the role of the Messiah Shepherd. Yeah. To the next verse, put on that put on that outfit again. This time you're playing the yeah, that's right. The evil yeah, opposite, right. yeah. you know, type of thing. And you're like, hang on, where? Yeah. How does this fall in? You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's this, there's this, um, these two polar opposites. You know, there's there's Yahweh, the good shepherd. Yes. Um, and and then there's the bad shepherd, the yeah. this Antichrist 
figure. Yeah. And, and Antichrist meaning the opposite yes. of Christ, who yeah. is the good shepherd. Yeah. So, so that picture is already being painted here in, uh, in Zechariah chapter 11. And then, um, and, and then it's, he, he declares a woe upon this shepherd. Woe to my worthless uh, shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. And so, so it declares a, c- a curse on this shepherd. But, but God has allowed this to arise yeah. because sometimes we need to get what we ask for mm. to know that it's wrong. And ultimately, history culminates in the world getting what it wants. Mm. You know, it's Mm. like uh, this is not just someone coming from the outside and imposing. No, this is uh, like this. The Antichrist could be vote. This could arise in a democracy. You know, this this is this is people getting um, getting really what they want. So, um, uh, so. Chapter twelve, um, uh, you know, focuses on the uh, the coming, you know, this coming salvation. God is uh, constantly um, punctuating this with um, uh, with so, so uh, twelve verse seven, and the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, and the glory of the house of David, and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So you know, th- there are these prophecies, yes. and, and then says something very, very interesting here in verse 10 of chapter 12. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Right? So God's saying, there's going to come a time where I'm going to pour out my spirit on the house of David, mm. on my people, uh, on the, which is Judah, yep. uh, the uh, people of Judah, and 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 the Jews. Uh, and when they look on me, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Right now, this is really interesting, and this has been noted in in, in the commentaries. I mean, never does God say of himself like. The, the word the the language here is the one that they've killed. Yeah. Now this is God's this is God saying this of Himself, right? So this causes problems in interpretation. Hang on a minute. How can God be killed? Yeah. Well, as we know, God came to us in Jesus Christ in human flesh, mm. so that He could be killed, so that He could uh, take be the sacrifice to take away sins. Um, and so, it goes on to say, on that day there shall be a a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. Mm. It's amazing. Oh, <laughs> would you just look at that? <laughs> like this is incredible yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, and again, it's uh, it's it's looking forward hundreds of years to yeah. something that's that's about to happen. Well, and even even in some of the language in chapter 12, it's again that 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 multi-layers of it's looking ahead to that final fulfillment when Christ finally comes, you know, at the end of the age and yeah, that's and, right. and, and takes you know takes yeah. it all. It's so multi-layered and beautiful in that. Yeah. It's it's And it's and I and I think this is um and and if I go forward here, I think this is possibly looking forward to a time when literally uh, God's original covenant people, the Jews, as in literally the house of David, yeah. um, will mourn for the one whom they, they have pierced. And, and this is, um, 
if if we go forward a little bit into chapter thirteen, yes, um, uh, in in line with this, because remember he's saying that um, that this that he will be pierced, right? And so then you see in thirteen verse seven. Uh, the the prophecy awake o sword against my shepherd against the man who stands next to me mm. okay so this isn't this isn't the bad shepherd i mean what's going on here this is the good shepherd yeah. right but god has said god has identified himself with the good shepherd remember zechariah is playing the part of god mm. and yet now it's saying that awake o sword against my shepherd, and now he's distinguishing the shepherd somehow from himself against the man who stands next to me, or you could understand the man at my right hand, the one at the right hand of God, mm. and um, uh, and it goes on. Let me just see if there's anything. Uh, uh, so uh, let me quote one uh, commentator here who says this. He asks the question: Who is the shepherd? Well, the prophet is not explicit. Had he wished, he could have drawn together the Davidic theme uh, with that of the shepherd, but he did not do so. Nor did he ad- identify the shepherd with the servant of Isaiah, chapter 53, though it is likely that he had that passage in mind. Uh, most probably did. Um, the very fact that the passage is to a degree enigmatic is an invitation to meditate on it. And there are indications that it influenced the thinking of Jesus more than any other shepherd passage in the Old Testament. Now, what does Jesus uh uh, say he says, I, I am the shepherd. I lay down my life uh, for the sheep, and um, he goes on to say, um, "Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered." Mm. And of course, that is um, uh, quoted from in uh, Matthew chapter twenty-six. Jesus himself interprets this verse. Yeah, I mean, there there are not many occasions where Jesus himself. Yeah. I mean, there's a number, but yeah. you know. Uh, this is this is Jesus himself saying. Uh, says then Jesus told them this very night, uh, on the night on the night of his crucifixion, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, sorry, on the night of when he's of his trial, mm. for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Mm. Uh, this is what's going to happen. So this is prophesied, and then uh, it says uh, it talks about in the whole land declares the Lord two thirds shall be cut off and perish and one third shall be left alive, and I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver. So it's it, it predicts after this striking of the shepherd the sheep shall be scattered um, through the nations. Mm-hmm. Now if this is talking about the Jewish people, this is right on. Yeah, this is exactly it's exactly what, what happened. And if you read verse eight and verse nine. Uh, like and I will put this third into the fight. Like it, it predicts this this uh, prolonged time of trial, um, and uh, and then it says they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. Now, when Paul talks about his heart in for his people, you know, in Romans yeah. nine to eleven, yes, like I mean, he, he is holding on to a promise that. God is going to save his people. He's yeah. holding on to a promise of God that yeah. for his own people, the Jewish people, uh, that God's not finished with them yet. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think it's, it's sections like this that, that he has in mind. Oh, 100%. You know, uh, that, that depict them being scattered, that depict the, the, the suffering, and that also depict a time when they will call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. 
and and they 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 will come back yeah. uh, and receive Jesus as their Messiah. Now to wrap it up, we go to chapter fourteen, which wraps up in a, in this beautiful yep. vision of the future when yep. the Lord is actually ruling the earth. Yep. There is a you know there's a whole new Jerusalem. There's you know nations coming and going. It's an amazing right, yeah, yeah. amazing picture. Well, first of all, there's a great battle here, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, behold, a day is coming for the Lord. Now, when um, in pr- pr- classic prophetic fashion when they speak of the day of the lord it's mm. it's this day of judgment this is zechariah is doing this and he says verse 2 for i will gather all the nations against jerusalem to battle you know this is revelation 19 this is the yeah. battle of armageddon for, yeah. um and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and so forth um and it talks about on that day his feet shall stand on the mount of olives that lies before jerusalem uh, to the east on the mount now um uh now the interesting thing is uh the way that this is spoken about, I mean, let's let's keep in mind Jesus' uh, conversation about the end times. Mm-hmm. That is known as. Do you remember what it's? I don't know if you where Jesus gives this talk in Matthew twenty four and twenty five mm. um, uh, about the end times. Mm. Now, where was he when he gave this talk? Do you remember? It was on the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is not you know <laughs> like seriously. He gives he chooses yeah. the Mount of Olives like. Because they asked the question about the, the temple mm-hmm. in the Temple Mount. Right, I just shelved that. Let's yeah. go for a walk. Yeah. We're going to go right up to the Mount of Olives. We're going to stand there. And then he gives them this talk yeah. about the things that leading up to the end times and then the end times uh, themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's, it's right there in the Mount of Olives. So, um, you know, that, that in itself is, is significant. And then uh, he says, um, on that day... Uh, well, you know, after all of evil has been vanquished, and mm. he says, "On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem." Uh, this is uh, Revelation chapter twenty-two, and mm. I saw the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb mm. down the middle of the great street of the city, right? Yeah, uh, and 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 out, you know, and and um, rep- in, in an um, is it here where it talks about? It's in actually connecting also with. Uh, Ezekiel. Yes, the, the end final of chapters of Ezekiel also have this picture of this river. Yeah, the river of God flowing out of the temple and into the Dead Sea and bringing life to the Dead Sea. Like, like this picture of like a new Eden almost yeah, that's coming right. coming apart. And you know, in Ezekiel, it finishes off and saying, you know, the name of the place is God with you. You know, yeah, like that's this right. Is, this is where, yeah. and we get the same thing here. That's right. You know, yeah. looking at looking at. And so this is this is Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel's final visions of the temple, where he says half of them. The water's flowing into the Eastern Sea. The Eastern Sea is the Dead Sea, and half of them to the Western Sea, uh, which is the Mediterranean Sea. And and, and in in um, the final vision of Ezekiel, the waters uh, bring bring life to the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful yeah. vision there. Yeah. Um, it says uh, in verse nine, and the Lord will be king over all of the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and His name will be one. And there's this beautiful visual, you know, Jerusalem shall dwell in security, verse 11, verse 14, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected and brought, to, you know, and they shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, mm. it's 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 Revelation chapter 22 all over. It's just glorious the way that this book uh, progresses right to the end. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing finish, and it's it's not you know. And there's disturbing elements all the way through to it as well. There's one as there is as there is in Revelation. Yeah, yeah. Because because it's and it's because it's polarized. This mm. is the thing. It, as we move towards the end, 
dark becomes more polarized from light, right? Yeah. The, the brighter yeah. the light, the darker the shadows. Yeah. So as we move towards the end, uh, it's not just things will get worse because they get better because of the coming of God's kingdom. And, and, and there's this effect in Revelation mm. uh, that you see this more and more evil, but that's, you know, but against the uh, more and more of, of God's coming until this climax is in the final defeat of darkness. Yeah. Hey, can I recommend a couple of things uh, in, in when you're dealing, especially in these last few chapters of, of, of Zechariah? In the past, we've talked about different Bible translations before. Yeah. I, I would I would go through this with a couple of different translations in here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found uh, heading through this with the New Living Translation, though it is a tiny bit interpretive, um, yeah, yeah. I found it a yeah. lot more clear. Yeah. The ESV okay. is really choppy, choppy. You know, yeah. it's really word for word. It can be quite confusing. Yeah, the, the, the ESV, um, I guess reflects the difficulty when, when, when biblical scholars talk about this um, as being one of the most complex parts of yes. the Bible. Yep. Uh, that's in the Hebrew. And, and actually our tra- translators have done a lot of work for us. Yes. Uh, so it's actually more complicated even than it seems to us because yes. yep. they're having to make translation choices. The, the, the ESV, I mean, I, I use the ESV, which is the more literal translation, but it is more difficult. Incidentally, I should say that the, um, the Thrive app is going to have the ESV attached to it. Oh, if, beautiful. if you want to listen to Thrive, yes, uh, and um, then, uh, or, or uh, sorry, I think uh, if if you want to, I forget how it's working. But anyway, uh, we've got permission to use the ESV along with the. Uh, the well, well, Thrive. the well, the red letter thing there, the thing to note there, there is an app coming for Thrive. Uh, there is an so, app coming. So for stay Thrive. tuned. There. Right. Now, as we wrap up this episode, it wouldn't wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be right. I I, I I stumbled as I was reading through. I ended up reading this passage about four times, and I was like, "This is which one? This is bizarre." Chapter thirteen. Okay. Yeah. The beginning of chapter thirteen, and you know, pick it up from say uh, verse, um, you know, verse the end of verse two. Yeah. He says, "I will remove from the land both the false prophets and the spirit of impurity that came with them." Yeah. If anyone continues to prophesy. This is the false prophet. He's talking about false uh-huh. prophets here. If anyone continues to prophesy falsely, his own father and mother will tell him, mm. you must die, for you have prophesied lies in the name of the Lord. And as he prophesies, his own father and mother will stab him. And on that day, people will be ashamed to claim the prophetic gift, this false prophecy. No one will be. No one pretend to be a prophet by wearing mm. prophet's clothes. He will say, oh, no, I'm not a prophet. I'm a farmer. I began working from, yep. for a farmer as a boy. Right. And if someone asks, hey, what about those stab wounds on your chest? He will say, uh, I was wounded at a friend's house. What? That is the most bizarre <laughs> passage. I went, I stopped and went, hang on, what have I just read? Went back and read it again, went back and read it again. I'm like, this is yeah. this is so, uh, the, part of it is funny, part of it is strange, part of it is really drastic right. of how God sees these false prophets in the land. Uh, uh, I know. thought I was going to get away without Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, know. There's okay. some, you know, like no. again, we okay. like we yeah. like to try to match it up to certain events in history. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where this one is. Okay, uh, look, I, I, and I think this is a good. The, the, you know, I, I think that's a really good question. And and uh, you know, first of all, big picture. Let's remember that the big problem of the human condition, you know, throughout the Old Testament. In fact, in in um, Paul's diagnosis of the human problem in in um, Romans chapter one verse eighteen and following yeah. it's not primarily a moral problem it's a problem of idolatry yeah. it's not put not letting god be god but having other things before god mm. um, and this is um predicting a time where people wouldn't dare 
Yeah. Right? They wouldn't dare. And and where there's going to be such a turning away from this that even those who have been prophets will, will not even want to admit that they even it's it's like uh, um so so the the wounds for example are probably the wounds inflicted because um uh, ancient prophets of ancient Eastern religions would would wound themselves yes, uh, yes. and give themselves scars, you yeah. know, as part of invoking the gods. So they're going to say, "Oh, yeah, just happened because I yeah. was whatever, you know, uh, yeah. from you know, uh, I received this from my my mates or something." Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. So they're making excuse- so it's it's actually going to be a matter of shame, you know, yeah. to even be associated with this. This is this is poetic, right? It's yes. it's like, um, you know, it's not. It, it's pic- it's trying to paint a picture of yes. how very ashamed. Yeah. Oh, of, it's a vivid how picture. It's a bigger vivid no picture. no this would be that even if it were to exist, and the whole point here is that it won't. Yes. That's the whole point. Yeah. But if it were, you know, then even uh, parents would be willing to kill their own children. It's yeah. that, it becomes that shameful. Now, I, yeah. I mean, that's that's really uh, dire. And actually, I mean, um, there was, there is a. Um, Deuteronomic uh, injunction that yes. uh, you know to to this effect actually yeah. uh, probably not ever c- carried out yeah. um, that you know that that you know about the stoning of the you know false prophets I- yeah of the false prophets even if they're your children you yes. know it's like yes. the point of that is to underscore how incredibly bad this is right yeah. Yeah. because the fact is is that by worshiping these false gods they were going to sacrifice their children to them anyway mm, mm. Uh, you know generations of children so um, so the drastic this drastic talk about stoning you know these false prophet you know those who turn to idols even if they're your own children yeah. in Deuteronomy um, uh, you know that's as I said, I probably never actually practiced, but it was yeah. the ultimate yes uh, the ultimate no just don't go there yeah. now um, it, it is harsh, but I, I, you know, as I read this, I thought, doesn't that mirror, you know, when Jesus, uh, for example, says in um, Luke chapter 14, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Yeah. And he is, he is saying, your love for me must be so great and your loyalty must be so great that compared with your relationships and 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 he's facing a situation where um families will be split actually because one by turning to Christ will make themselves an enemy of the rest of his family who will put lots of pressure on him to turn away from Christ yeah and Jesus is saying you need to be so loyal to me you're prepared to become the enemies of your family yeah and this is similar to what's yeah. happening here it's funny. He, he, see Jesus he doesn't really want anyone to hate their no. mother. Uh, to, to, but yeah. but he's saying he's making a point, and I would say that um, that this prophecy in Zechariah about you know the parents and um, yeah. being prepared to um, you know to execute even their children yeah. uh, is is meant to make a similar sort of point. It's like a uh, it's it's like a literary prophetic sort of device to yeah. make a point very very boldly. It, it just hit home again to me about how, and this is a personal thing for me, especially as we do this podcast. I I sat here when I was reading it, and you know, again, and went, "Oh my goodness, this is what God thinks about people who say lies in His name." Yeah, this is how we. This is what yeah. He sees it sees it as. It's drastic. It, it like oh, it, it's pretty drastic. Good point. Yeah, and yeah. and I and I sort of went, man. I got to be careful, n- not not only with my language and when I when I'm speaking for God, but also I sort of I sort of took it away and went, 
do I glorify in things that I shouldn't be glorifying in, especially about mistakes that I've made or things that yeah. I've done? I like I had a few different thoughts yeah. around it. It sort of weighed heavily on me, and it's just again one of those passages where at first I was like, "This is crazy," yeah, yeah. and as I went on, I was like, "Hang on, I think this actually has application in yeah, my life yeah. right now." You know? Yeah, that's right. I mean, like this is really, really serious because, of course, up to this point in history, it was the false prophets that misled uh, the people. It was the prophets that told them what they wanted to hear. Not the ones that corrected them, but the ones that just told them all, you know, uh, and that misled them, that led them off to to the, you know, to the gods of, you know, the the nations. And this is a really, really serious issue. And, And I think when we come to passages that seem harsh, Maybe they seem harsh to us because we don't think we think, oh, come on, calm down. Like it's, it's not that serious. And no, 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 no. But yeah, that's the point. It is. It is that serious. It is that serious. And uh, you know, misleading people is that serious. Uh, f- like uh, f- worshiping anything other than God and being drawn and led to worship other things. It just is that serious. And. This is polarizing things. God wants to polarize things. Uh, these these are black and white issues. This is um, this is really serious, and God wants the black to be black. And these uh, verses that seem harsh to us, I think they can. I think it's we we need to stop grappling with what they're saying and think about what 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 can this do for me? Well, I th- this I think this can wake us up. It's going to make us see, oh, and actually this is really serious. And what do we think we're dealing with? We're we're talking about God here. Mm. We're talking about God's absolute claim upon us. To be in conflict with God is of infinite eternal magnitude. Of course it's serious. Like, this is, there's nothing more serious than this. So, so there's no calming down and, and just can you just tone it down a bit? This is a little harsh. Well, it, it is harsh. When we turn against God, that's the harshest thing in the universe. But what we need to remember is that God has borne all of the harshness of evil, all of the harshness of judgment, upon himself in Jesus Christ, taken all of that so he can give us the opportunity to begin again. And ultimately, that is the greatest expression of who God is, what God was prepared to do in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself. And throughout the prophetic uh, books, this theme of the love of God, in, in the, I, I know this harsh stuff there, but the, it's the theme of the love of God and the rest of God's desire for restoration that dominates through every page. Is it just me? Do you feel as exhausted as I feel after going through all that rest of Zechariah in one big hit? Boy, oh boy, there's so much there. And this is part of the, uh, you know, the bittersweet part of flying through this at the clip that we do to get through through the Thrive reading plan that we, uh, you know, some things that we'd love to spend a lot more time in, we just have to go on past. But uh, that's all right. We have uh, putting the book of Zechariah behind us. So next week, we want your questions. What have been your questions as you've been going through the book of Zechariah over the last couple of weeks? Please let us know. You can get all the links on how to contact us next from Benita the voiceover lady. We'll also be getting into a little bit of Esther and Ezra. So if you've got questions around that, please get in contact with us. We love your questions. Well, until next week, this has been DJ Payne for the whole gang saying thrive. 
you so much for listening to Thrive Deeper. We value all our listening community. If you are on Facebook, search and like Thrive Today page to get all of our latest updates. Our music is provided by the talented Rod Gear. For more information, head to rodgearmusic.com. The podcast is recorded at the studios of Geelong Christian Media Incorporated, then edited and produced by djp.fm. Join the conversation online with nearly 400 other listeners at facebook.com slash groups slash Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is at thrivetoday.net.au. There you can subscribe to the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and contact us directly. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, Thrive. Thrive.